Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial professor, Lily, and this is the unofficial SJM 101. And today we are doing something that I was not originally going to do, but then it just turned into that and this is the way that it works. And I guess I'm the, I'm the maker of the podcast. So is there really, it can't be wrong if I'm the maker and that's how I made it. I was going to start with doing a character deep dive, but then it just kind of turned into a what is this, and that just turned into a chapter breakdown, so this is where we're at. Before we go any farther, there will be SJM Universe spoilers. We're going to be reading from House, Sky, and Breath. We're going to be talking about things in all three series, and we're just going to be breaking down what mystics are in the SJM Universe. So if you haven't finished reading all of the SJM books, then save this, follow me, come back, and join the conversation when you're done. With that being said, I do not speak for Sarah, and I don't speak for Bloomsbury. These are my notes. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. This is what I've gathered and I could be wrong. So take it all with a grain of salt. Third of all, I pronounce things wrong. I'm trying to get better every day. I am slowly going through the audiobooks and I'm just, I'm, I'm learning on my feet and that's just how it is. So I was starting with a mural slash Jezeba character deep dive, which we will be getting to next week. Um, and it just kind of spiraled out of control into what is a mystic? how is a mystic and why is a mystic and then it kind of turned into is Reese a mystic and it kind of it just developed and I think the easiest way for me to channel all of my thoughts and all of my energies is by doing chapter breakdowns I've said it on the podcast before it's just the easiest way for me to like just not chaotically blabber it it helps me keep everything kind of structured so we're gonna do the chapter breakdown and then I'm going to do my theory on Reese afterwards. So after we've learned everything about the mystics and just about the astronomer and all that's all that good stuff, there's a lot of good stuff in this chapter, we're going to talk about my theories on Reese. It's a little bit wild, I'll give you that, but we're going to talk about it. So first, we're going to read from House, Sky, and Breath, chapter 38. And I think maybe 38 and 39 are kind of the same chapter, but I stopped at 38 because there's not much else after that that pertains to mystics in 39 and I think we could do 39 on its own as its own topic so maybe we'll do that if not next week then maybe the week later or sometime down the line. So we're going to read all of chapter 38. It's kind of a big chapter and I apologize for that but it's just this is just the easiest way for me to to give you information here. So we're going to read it. And then we're gonna break down. I'm kind of going fast because I know this episode is gonna be really long and I'm trying to just shorten it as much as I can. <laughs> so here we go. This is in Bryce's perspective. It's just Therian and Ethan and Bryce going to the astronomer to see where Connor's soul is, see if they can find out what happened to Connor. And she goes, this is a dumb fucking idea. You really love to say that, Legs. Bryce peered at the two-story iron doors at the back alley of the old square, the surface embossed with stars and planets and all manner of heavenly objects. There's a reason no one comes to the mystics anymore. Hell, she'd suggested it while working Danica's case this spring, but Hunt had convinced her not to come. The mystics are some dark, fucked-up shit, he had said. Bryce glowered at Thary and Ethan, standing behind her in the alley. I mean it. What's behind those doors is not for the faint of heart. Jezeba knows this guy, and even she doesn't mess with him. Ethan countered. I can't think of another alternative. The oracles can only see the future, not the present. I need to know what's going on with Connor. Therian drawled. 
If you can't stomach it, Legs, then sit out here on the curb. She sighed through her nose, trying again. Only low lives use the mystic these days. They had this conversation twice already on the walkover. She was likely going to lose this round as well, but it was well worth a shot. If Hunt had been with her, he would have gotten his point across in that alpha hole way of his, but he hadn't answered his phone. He'd probably give her hell coming here without him. She sighed to the baking hot sky. All right, let's get this over with. That's the spirit legs, Darian clapped her on the back. Ethan frowned at the doors. Bryce reached for the door chime, a crescent moon dangling from a delicate iron chain. She yanked it. Once. Twice. An off-kiltered ringing echoed. This is a really bad idea, she muttered again. Yeah, yeah, Ethan said, tipping his head back to study the building. The tattoo of Amelie's pack was glaringly dark in the sun. She had wondered if he wanted to tear the flesh off and start new. Bryce set the question aside as one of the planets carved into the door. The five-ringed behemoth that was Thur swinging away, revealing a pale gray eye. Appointment. Therian held up his BCIU badge. The blue court requires your assistance. Does it now? A croaking laugh, as that eye, eerily sharp, despite the wrinkles around it, fixed on the myrrh. It narrowed in amusement or pleasure. One of the river folk. What a treat. What a treat. The planet slammed shut, and Therian stepped onto the slate front step as the door cracked open a sliver. Cold air rippled out along with the tang of salt and the smothering dampness of mold. Ethan trailed Bryce, swearing under his breath at the scent. She twisted, throwing him a reproachful glare. He winced, falling into step beside her with that sunball player's grace as they entered into the cavernous space beyond. A gray-robed old man stood before them, not human, but his scent declared nothing other than some sort of Van Air humanoid. His heavily white beard fell to a thin band of rope that served as a belt, his wispy hair long and unbound. Four rings of silver and gold glinted on one of his withered spotted hands, with small stars blazing at the center of each, trapped in the nearly invisible glass domes. No, not stars. Bryce's stomach turned over at the minuscule hand that pressed against the other side of the glass. There was no mistaking the desperation in that touch. Fire sprites. Enslaved. All of them. Bought and sold. Bryce struggled to keep from ripping that hand clean off the arm that bore it. She could feel Ethan watching her. Feel him trying to puzzle out why she had gone so still and stiff but she couldn't tear her gaze from the sprites. It's not every day that one of the myrrh crosses my doorstep, the old man said, his smile revealing two white teeth, still intact despite his age, unless they'd come from someone else, let alone in the company of a wolf and a fae. Bryce gripped her purse, mastering her temper as she lifted her chin. We need to consult your... She peered past his bony shoulder to the dim space beyond. Services. And then I'll take all four of those rings and smash them open. I shall be honored, the male bowed at the waist to Therian, but didn't bother to extend the courtesy to Bryce and Ethan. 
This way. Bryce kept a hand within casual distance of her knife in her purse as they entered the dimness. She wished she had the reassuring weight and strength of Danica's sword, but the blade would have stood out too much. The space consisted of two levels, bookshelves crammed with the tomes and scrolls rising to the dark-veiled ceiling, an iron ramp winding up the walls in a lazy spiral. A great golden orb dangled in the center of the room, lit from within. And beneath them, in tubs built into the slate floor, to her left, Ethan sucked in a breath. Three mystics slept, submerged in greenish, cloudy water, breathing masks strapped to their face. Their white shifts floated around them, doing little to hide the skeletal bodies beneath. One male, one female, one both. That was how it always was, and how it had always been. Perfect balance. Bryce's stomach turned over again. She knew the sensation wouldn't stop until she left. May I interest you in a hot tea before we begin the formalities? The old male asked Therian, gesturing to the thick oak table to the right of the ramp space. We're pressed for time, Ethan lied, stepping up to Therian's side. Fine. Let them deal with the old creep. Ethan set a pile of gold marks on the table with a clink. If that doesn't cover the cost, give me the bill for the remainder. That drew Bryce's attention. Ethan spoke with such authority. She'd heard him talk to his teammates as their captain, had seen him command plenty, but the Ethan she had known these past few days had been subdued. Of course, of course, the male's filmy eyes swept around the room. I can have my beauties up and running within a few minutes. He hobbled towards the walkway and braced a hand on the iron rail as he began the ascent. Bryce glanced back at the three mystics in their tubs, their thin bodies, their pale, soggy skin. Built into the floor beside them was a panel covered in a language she had never seen. "'Pay them no heed, miss,' the old male called, still winding his way towards a platform about halfway up the room, filled with dials and wheels." When they're not in use, they drift. Where they go and what they see is a mystery even to me. It wasn't that the mystics could see all worlds. No, the gift wasn't the unnerving thing. It was what they gave up for it. Life. True life. Bryce heard Therian swallow. She refrained from snapping that she had warned him. Ten fucking times. The families are compensated handsomely. The old male said, as if reciting from a script designed to calm skittish patreons. He reached the controls and began flipping switches. Gears groaned and a few more lights flickered on the tanks, further illuminating the mystics' bodies. If that's any concern to you. Another switch flipped, and Bryce staggered back a step as a full holographic replica of their solar system exploded into view, orbiting the dangling sun at the center of the space. Therian blew out what she could only assume was an impressed breath. Ethan scanned above them, like he could find his brother in the map. Bryce didn't wait for them before trailing the old male up the walkway, as seven planets aligned themselves perfectly. Stars glittering in the far reaches of the room. She couldn't keep the sharpness from her voice as she asked, Do their families ever see them? She really had no right to demand these answers. She had been complicit in coming here and using their services. It would be upsetting for both parties, the male said distantly, still working his switches. What's your name? 
Bryce advanced up the ramp. Therian muttered, Legs. She ignored the warning, and Ethan kept quiet. Yet the old male replied, utterly unfazed, Some people call me the astronomer. She couldn't keep the bite from her voice. What do other people call you? The astronomer didn't answer. Up and up, Bryce ascended into the heavens. Thariot and Ethan trailing her like the assholes were second-guessing this. One of the mystics twitched, water splashing. A normal reaction, the astronomer said, not even looking up from his dials as they approached. Everyone is always so concerned for their well-being. They made the choice, you know. I didn't force them into this, he sighed. To give up life in the waking world, to glimpse wonders of the universe that no vanier or mortal shall ever see. Stroking his beard, he added, This churro is a good one. I've had them for a while now. No issues. The last group? One drifted too far. Too far. And for too long. They dragged the others with them. Such a waste. Bryce tried to block out the excuses. Everyone knew the truth. The mystics came from all races. They were usually poor. So poor that when they were born with the gift, their family sold them to people like the astronomer, who exploited their talent until they died alone in those tubs, or wandered so deep into the cosmos that they couldn't find their way back to their minds. Bryce clenched her hand into fists. Micah had allowed it to happen. Her piece-of-shit father turned a blind eye, too. As the Autumn King, he had the ability to put the end to this practice, or at the least advocate to stop it, but he didn't. Bryce set aside her outrage and waved a hand to the drifting planets. This space map. It's called an orrery. This orrery, Bryce approached the male's side. It's tech, not magic. Can't it be both? Bryce's fingers curled into fists, but she said, a mercury memory rippling from her childhood. The Autumn King has one in his private study. The astronomer clicked his tongue. Yes, and a fine one at that, made by the Craspins in Avalon a long time ago. I haven't had the privilege to see it, but I hear it's as precise as mine, if not more so. What's the point of it? she asked. Only one who does not feel the need to peer into the cosmos would ask such a thing. The orrery helps us to answer the most fundamental questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? When Bryce didn't say anything more, Therian cleared his throat. We'll be quick with our own questions, then. Each one will be built, of course. Of course, Ethan said through his grit teeth, stopping at Bryce's side. He peered through the planets to the mystic floating beneath. Does my brother, Connor Holstrom, remain in the Bone Quarter? Or has his soul passed through the Dead Gate? The astronomer whispered, Luna above. He fiddled with one of the faintly glowing rings atop his hand. This question requires a riskier method of contact than usual. One that borders on illegal. It'll cost you, Bryce said. How much? Scam artist bullshit. Another hundred cold marks. Bryce started, but then Ethan said, Done. She turned to warn him not to spend one more coin of the considerable inheritance his parents had left him, but the astronomer hobbled towards the metal cabinet beneath the dials and opened a small door. He pulled out a bundle wrapped in canvas. 
Bryce stiffened at the moldy, rotten earth scent that creeped from the bundle as he unfolded the fabric to reveal a handful of rust-colored salt. What the fuck is that? Ethan asked. Blood salt, Bryce breathed. Therian looked at her in question, but she didn't bother to explain any more. Blood for life, blood for death. It was summoning salt, infused with the blood from a laboring mother's sex and the blood of a dying male's throat. The two greatest transitions of a soul in and out of this world. But to use it here? You can't mean to add that to the water, Bryce said to the astronomer. The old male hobbled back down the ramp. Their tanks already contain white salt. The blood salt will merely pinpoint their search. Therian muttered to Bryce, You might be right about this place. Now you agree with me? She whispered yelled as the astronomer sprinkled red salt into the three tanks. The water clouded and then turned to rust-colored, like the mystics were now submerged in blood. Ethern muttered, This isn't right. Then let's take our money and go, she urged. But the astronomer returned, and Therian asked, Is it safe for the mystics to contact the resting dead? The astronomer typed on a pad mounted on the gold-plated lectioner fashioned by an exploding star and then hit a black button on the panel nearby. Oh, yes, they love to talk. Have nothing else to do with their time. He shot Bryce a sharp glare, gray eyes gleaming like cold knives. As for your money, there is a no-refund policy. Says so right there on the wall. You might as well stay to hear your answer. Before Bryce could respond, the floor slid away, leaving the mystics in their tubs and creating a considerable gap between the base of the ramp and the entryway. The tubs rested atop narrow columns, rising from the sublevels lined with more books and another walkway descending down, down, to a black pit at the center of the floor, and filling the sublevel, layer after layer of darkness revealed itself, each one blacker than the last. Seven of them, one for each level of hell. From the highest stars to the pit itself, the astronomer sighed and typed into the pad. Their search may take a while, even with the blood salt. Bryce sized up the gap between the base of the ramp to the entryway. Could she jump it? Ethan definitely could. Therian, too. She found Therian watching her with crossed arms. Just enjoy the show, Legs. She scowled. I think you've lost the right to call me that after this. Ethan said quietly, face pained. Bryce, I know this sucks. This is... this is not okay, his voice turned hoarse. But if it's the only way to learn what's going on with Connor... She opened her mouth to snap that Connor would have condemned this place and told Ethan to find some other way, but... She could see him. Connor shining right there in Ethan's face, in his eyes, the same hue, and those broad shoulders. Her throat ached. What line wouldn't she cross to help Connor and the pack of devils? They would have done the same for her. Connor might have condemned this place, but if their positions were reversed... Therian jerked his chin to the exit far below. Go ahead, princess. We'll see you later. Fuck you, Bryce snapped. She braced her feet apart. Let's get this over with. From the corner of her eye, she saw Ethan's shoulders sag in relief for shame she didn't know. The old male cut in, as if he hadn't heard a word of their hissed argument. Most astronomers and mystics have been put out of business these days, you know. 
thanks to fancy tech and self-righteous busybodies like you, he spat towards Bryce. She snarled at him, sounding more primal fae than she'd liked, but he waved that hateful ring-encrusted hand towards the mystics in their pools. They were the original interweb. Any answer you wish to know, they can find it, without having to wade through the slog of nonsense out there. The female mystic twitched, dark hair floating around her in the suspended pool, black tendrils among the red salt. Dried salt water crusted the slate rim of the tub, as if she had thrashed earlier and soaked the stones. Salt for buoyancy, and to protect them from the demons and beings they spied on or conversed with. But would those protections fade with the blood salt in the water? The mystic who was both male and female jolted, their long limbs flailing. Oh, the astronomer observed, standing the pad. They're going far this time. Very far, he nodded to Bryce. This was high-quality blood salt, you know. For a hundred marks it better be, Ethan said, but his attention remained on the mystics below, his breathing shallow. Another push of the button, and the holographic planets began to shift, becoming smaller as they drifted away. The sun rose to the ceiling, vanishing, and distant stars came into view. Different planets. The mystics made the first star maps, the astronomer said. They charted more extensively than anyone had before. In the Eternal City, I heard they have a thousand mystics in the, in the palace catacombs, mapping further and further into the cosmos, speaking with creatures we shall never know. Hunted been in those catacombs, their dungeon specifically. Had he ever heard a whisper of this? Something beeped on the screen and Bryce motioned towards it. What is that? The male is reaching Hell's orbit. The astronomer clicked his tongue. He's much faster today. Impressive. Connor's soul wound up in hell. Horror laced Ethan's every word. Bryce's throat closed up. It, it wasn't possible. How would that have ha even happened? Had she done something with the gate this spring that had transported his soul over there? Silence fell, the temperature dropping with it. She demanded, Why is it getting colder? Sometimes their powers manifest the environment they're encountering. Before anyone replied, the astronomer twisted a brass dial. What do you see? What do you hear? The male twitched again, red water splashing over the edge of the tub and dribbling into the pit beneath. Therian peered over the iron rail. His lips are turning blue. The water is warm, the astronomer tutted. Look! He pointed to the screen and a graph of rising and falling lines, like sound waves appear. I'll admit the new tech has some advantages. The old ways of transcribing was much harder. I had to reference every single brainwave just to find the correlation to the right letter or word. Now the machine just does it for me. I don't care about brainwaves, Bryce thought. Tell me what's happening with Connor. But the astronomer rambled on, almost absent-mindedly. When you speak, your brain sends a message to your tongue to form words. This machine reads the message, that signal, and interprets it without you needing to say a word. So it's a mind reader, Therian said, face pale in the lights. Bryce drifted closer to Ethan. The wolf radiated dread. Of sorts, the astronomer said. 
Right now, it's more of an eavesdropper, listening to the conversation the mystic is having with whoever is in the other end of the line. Therian asked, hands behind his back as he peered at the machines. How does it know what the other person is saying? The mystic is trained to repeat back the words that we may transcribe them. The screen began to flash a series of letters, words. Too dark, the astronomer read. It's too dark to see. Only here. Can you pinpoint where in hell your mystic is? Ethan indicated the holographic levels far below. Not precisely, but judging by the cold, I'd say deep, perhaps the chasm itself. Bryce and Ethan swapped glances. His eyes were wide as her own. The astronomer kept reading. Hello? Silence. Nothing but endless silence. This is very common, the astronomer assured them, gesturing them to move closer. Despite herself, despite her objections, Bryce leaned in to read the feed. The mystic said, I am searching for the soul of a wolf called Connor Holstrom. Someone, something, answered. No wolves have roamed these lands for eons. No wolf by that name dwells here, living or dead. But what are you? Ethan shuddered, swaying a step. With relief, Bryce realized, because that was the dizzying, rushing sensation in her body, too. Strange, the astronomer said. Why were we drawn to hell if your friend isn't there? Bryce didn't want to know, tried and failed to open her mouth to say that they should go. I'm a mystic, the male said. From where? A faraway place. Why are you here? To ask questions. Will you oblige me? If I can, mystic, then I shall. What is your name? A pause, then. Thanatos. Bryce sucked in a sharp breath. The prince of the ravine? Therian fell back a step. Do you know if Connor Holstrom remains in the bone quarter of Midgard? A long, long pause. The sound waves flatlining. Then, who sent you here? A wolf, a mer, and a half-fay. Half-human female. How the mystic had even known of their presence, Bryce had no idea. Didn't want to know what sort of perception they possessed while in those isolated tanks. Thanatos asked, What are their names? I do not know. Will you answer my questions? Another long pause. We need to stop this, Ethan nodded towards the male's tub, ice beginning to inch over the water. Are they listening? Yes. Again, silence. And then the demon prince said, Let me see them. Let me see them. The mystic's eyes flew open in the tank below. Okay, let's let's break this down. Let's get into this. So the first thing I want to point out is that there's a ton of iron. And this actually brings up a, a question that I don't think we ever really get an answer to. Is that, does Bryce ever have a reaction to iron? We know that there are, there's iron at Jezebah's, there's iron here, there's iron kind of scattered about everywhere, and I really wonder if Bryce has any aversions to iron, or if maybe somebody else does. Does Ethan have an aversion to iron, as he is supposed to be from Togfei lineage? I don't know if we ever, I can't remember if we ever get an instance of somebody who is not like, quote-unquote, Perithian Fey touching iron, but I'm really interested to see if that ever comes up 
on Midgard if they ever have any aversion to iron? And if not, then why in the SJM universe? Because I know that iron in real life, whatever, can have like an aversion for fairies or something like that. But why, how is SJM going to explain why the Tog Fae have an aversion to iron, but Perithian and Crescent City Fae apparently do not? That iron thing is always just in the back of my head, like, nagging me, and I never, like, I didn't, I never know why. The reason why I did this chapter as a chapter breakdown is because we get a lot of question and answer, no answer, a lot of question, a lot of almost answers on what are mystics. The one time that the mystics are brought up in House of Earth and Blood is when they're deciding where to get answers about the horn. And the first answer actually was to go to the mystics, but Hunt says the mystics are some dark fucked up shit. Which, the reason why I even got, I, you know, stumbled so far down this, like, it was a, it was a true stumble down in the rabbit hole. So, because it started with Mural, and then it ended, and then it, it went to Reese, and then it was, how does Reese know all that he knows? And then my answer kind of had to be mystics. And I was asked to talk about mystics uh, a few, a little while ago, and so this kind of, like, just snowballed into the perfect timing to talk about mystics, which we should be talking about the mystics, because apparently they're going to be very big and very prominent throughout the SJM future and we don't know much about them, but we do know that they are dark, and for some reason that itched me, and it was, like, the same as Demetis are considered dark, like, the gift of being a Demeti, that's kind of dark, and I don't know if he's just talking about because mystics are, like, kind of slave-owned-ish, they, I mean, they, they're paid, their families are paid if they stay, I don't know if they're actually allowed to leave if they ever wanted to, I'm gonna assume not, but, when he says it the way he did, it's just like, okay, maybe they're like Demetis. Maybe it's just a dark gift, a dark power. Because we do know, as we'll see later on in this chapter, that they are born with a gift. But we don't know what that gift is. All we know is they're born with a specific gift that indicates that they would do well soaking in a salty tub. But we don't know what that gift is. And it drives me insane insane. But we do know that they are not, they're not seers and they're not oracles because the oracles are said to only see the future, not the present. That almost sounds like, because the astronomer even says like any question you have, we could answer. Could they actually ask a question about the past? Could they ask a question about the future? And would the mystics be able to find the answer? And I, I want to know, like, what does it actually mean? Like, like does that mean the oracles are, quote-unquote, all-seeing? All-seeing, the all-seeing one. The all-seeing one who is the sin eater. The, all, the sin eater who is actually the truth god. The truth god who is actually the bone carver. It wouldn't be an episode of Spatulas and Speculations if I didn't mention the bone carver just once. But it really, it begs the question. It, oh, it does beg the question because, one they go to the bone carver to ask questions about the present as if he has the answer to any question as long as you don't lie to him sus so weird um so i i i wonder i wonder because the bone carver also could predict some of Farah's future mm, interesting i wonder if they're all tied together somehow in some way i don't know that's always me just grasping at straws to bring him back into the picture bryce ends up 
yanking on a door chime that is in the shape of a crescent moon. Whenever I see a crescent moon, I automatically think of the crone sickle from Throne of Glass, the crone side of the mother. I think it's interesting that that's what his door knocker is. But the real thing that made me start screaming about this chapter and made me go like, oh, we need to deep dive. We need to talk about this chapter is the fact that we see a planet that is called Thur. Thur is a planet as well a minor deity who looks like Hunt. And that immediately, immediately brings me to the question of what was Project Thur? We learn that Project Thur was the last time someone got as close as Danica and it did not end well for them. My first original thought was maybe that was Hunt's dad. I still maybe have that thought. I, I, I need to think more on Hunt's dad. I always wanted to be tied to an alias. I still think it's tied to an alias, but I'm not really sure the logis logistics of that. But maybe they like shot this person straight to planet Thur. I don't know. I, I don't understand how Thur is a planet and also a god, unless we're talking about like how Hellas was supposed to be a god and also had his own realm. I'm confused. I don't know the answer, but the reason I just, I saw that and I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean, Sarah? What do you mean Thur is also a planet? What? It's a planet and a god? Excuse you, ma'am. Excuse, excuse you. What does this mean? What does this mean? I want to know. <sighs> but we don't know. We don't get any answers, but I wonder, Project Thur. It was a project that they were working on. Who was working on? Yeah, I... <laughs> I wonder if I'll get the answer when I do my Crescent City reread, actually. I wonder if I can... If I'll be able to piece together some answer. The next thing we see is that it reveals that... That they... That when the door opens, it reveals a pale gray eye. I went through, looked around... Amran has gray eyes, Jezebel has gray eyes, the weaver in A Court of Frost and Starlight Chapter 15 who makes the tapestry Hope and Void has gray eyes, Nox has gray eyes, a random guy that Kaltin kills with Shadowfire has gray eyes, Darrow has gray eyes, Vulcan has gray eyes, and Arabin have gray eyes. I think that the three that you should really focus on is Amran and Jezebel and the Weaver of A Court of Frost and Starlight all having gray eyes, but I don't know what it means that they do have gray eyes. If they're some type of seers, if that means they have some kind of power, I'm not sure. We know the girls, Farah and Dinesta, both have gray-blue eyes, but still blue, so I didn't really feel the need to like throw it immediately into that list. Bryce smells when they open the door, she smells salt and mold. And I, whenever I, they say, they talk about the smell of mold or like earth, um, I immediately think of the walking dead or Valg blood. And it never really like comes together and it really, really pieces together other than like something decay. I don't know. But, like, that one very distinctive smell that Sarah is, like, thrown in there every, like, few times always gets to me. Always gets to me. Moving on to the next thing, we don't really learn much about the astronomer other than he's some kind of vanier and he's old. 
We don't know how old, but we know that Jezeba knows him. But I also think Jezeba's old as dirt as well, so I'm not sure what it means. I mean, a lot of people want to say that he's... He's Koshe or Koshi, however you want to say his name. I say Koshi. Um, I don't know about the logistics of that because, like, he's supposed to be trapped to that lake. I don't know how he's trapped at the lake and also just chilling around in Midgard. I don't know how that works, but I think it would be really interesting. I would think my thought, really with the way he's described having long white hair, a long white beard, was actually Merlin. Because Merlin in myth, he wasn't like... He was something. He was definitely something. So my original thought was to, to go to Merlin. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't really, like... Nothing about him, like... <sighs> nothing about the astronomer, aside from his eye color led me to go, oh, he must be this person. I don't know if we've ever seen him before. I think it would be more realistic for him to be a sibling of someone or a father of someone. Maybe he's Jezebel's father. <gasps> I don't know how that would work. I don't, I don't know how that would work, but I like it. I don't know why, but I like it. I don't... I don't... I don't know. I don't know, but I like it. After they look at him and they enter into the room, they see the mystics, three mystics, and they are in greenish water. And my thought when I saw that greenish cloudy water, I can't really explain why, but I was like, word marks. When the word, when, when a few people use word marks, it's like a greenish color. And I wonder if that's, like, there's some, like, word marks glowing underneath them, word marks around them. I don't really know. I don't understand it. But it's there. There's something there. Because if it is word marks, and it might line up with Maeve. Because Maeve used the very language of the universe to peer through the cosmos. Sound familiar? Peering through the cosmos like mystics. Word marks are greenish doesn't really say exactly how she was able to peer through the cosmos, but what if she made herself, like, a little bit of a mystic, submerged herself in some, she, like, decorated her tub, a little art project with some word marks, sunk into some salty water, and then peered through the cosmos trying to figure out how to leave the Valg world. That's, like, that's, like, that is how my mind was working. That is where my mind was going. And we're going to talk more about Maeve in a second, but I just want to, like, bring that up. The, the greenish whatever. Tie it in. It's all tied together. I swear I'm not crazy. I'm a little bit crazy, but I'm not super crazy. Then we learn about the three mystics, that there's one male, one female, and one both. A hermaphrodite of sorts. And that was how it was, how it had always been a perfect balance. And that balance, the mother, the life, the death, everything in Tower of Dawn was about balance. Everything about when Nesta gives up tries to save Farah and Nyx and Reese. There was a balance. There's a cost to everything with Yurine and Kale's bargain. There was a balance, a cost to everything. And I just like, I saw that and I like, ooh, I like, I got, I got, this is why Tower of Dawn is so important. There's so, like, it's, it's, it's a hard book to read, especially right after Empire Storms, but it's really important because there's a lot of stuff 
has to do with everything in there. And also, I mean, you could tie in the baths in the Torah Kazmin as well into all of this and how Shireen was able to have that vision kind of conversation with someone in the darkness. Hmm. I mean, now that I'm like, this is a bad, I'm, oh, this episode is causing me to think, I think I needed to think on it more before I filmed it because, wow, I'm having too many out loud thoughts. But like, Yurene, like being able to see visions through their, her magic with Kale is interesting like, she was able to, like, go inside of his mind. Kind of Demetti-ish. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting thought. The next thing we see in this chapter, I'm just, I'm scared, I'm, I, that's, I, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm like, maybe it's something, and other times I'm like, maybe it's not something, and sometimes I'm like, maybe it's both, and I don't know which one it is, like, it's one or the other, but I don't know which one it is, and that's, like, a lot of the theories that I have in the back of my head, where I'm like, is it the same, or is it different, and if it's different, how is it different, and sometimes I'm like, you're, you you can only ask so much, it's okay to ask questions, it's okay to ask questions, but sometimes you have to understand that you might not get the answer, and that has to be okay, you know? Moving on. Built into the floor beside them was a panel covered in a language she had never seen. Word marks. Did she not recognize the alphabet from her back? Is it the same language that the Book of Breathings is written in? How many other languages are we going to learn about, Sarah? I'm still waiting for the throne, the world of Throne of Glass book, so I might see what word marks are actually supposed to look like. I'm still salty about that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, The World of Throne of Glass was a book that was meant to come out, and then it never did. It's supposed to be an in-depth look at the Throne of Glass world, learning about word marks and realms and all the gods and a breakdown of powers and people and all that stuff and lineage and history. It's supposed to be like like an encyclopedia for Throne of Glass with some bonus content of like where our characters are now, and then it was basically put on hold, assumingly because of House of Sky and Breath in Crescent City. Um, but I'm salty about it because the idea that there is a written out version of word marks and I don't have it <sighs> makes me salty. Anyways, this is when we learn about the mystics. He says, when they're not in use, they drift. Where they go, what they see is a mystery even to me. It wasn't that the mystics could see all worlds. No, the gift wasn't the unnerving thing. It was what they gave up for it. Life. True life. I did a little Googling and I looked up the word mystics to see what it might mean. If there's anything I could gather from it. Because like I said, we don't really know what the mystics are, what they can do. We know it's a gift, but what does it look like outside of the tubs? We don't really know. But the definition of mystics, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a person who seeks by contemplation and self-surrender to obtain unity with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or who believes 
in the spiritual comprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. Basically, deep meditation, a loss of self to fully consume themselves with spiritual truths. I don't know. That's just what the Google told me. Did not help. I thought it was going to help. I thought if I learned the definition, it would help. It did not help because I still don't understand. But with the mystics, like I said, again, I mean, again, I'm going to say it, is that they are supposed to have powers outside of the tub. So there's some way that they manifest that we don't know about. But in House of Sky and Breath 42, when Ethan is talking to the Fendir heir, before he knows that she's the Fendir heir, she says, my parents had no pack, she said hoarsely. They roamed the tundra of Nia with me and my ten siblings. My gift became apparent when I, I was three. By four, I was in here. She pointed to the tank and then, and Ethan recoiled in horror. So her gifts became apparent when she was three years old as a child. To bring it back to the Demetis, Rune's gift of mind speaking came when he was very young as well. So I just, there's something... There's something I'm circling around and I'm not sure like exactly how it connects because we don't really know the exact ness of Reese or Rune or Maeve, but we know imprints and the imprints that I'm getting, they're screaming Demetti because Reese talks about the Demetti to Farah when she asks about the mind speaking in A Court of Mist and Fury, chapter 15. And Reese says, We are called Demetti, those of us who can walk into another person's mind as if we are going from one room to the other. Just like the mystics who are walking around the cosmos, peering into the worlds. Okay? We are rare, and the trait appears as a mother wills it. Okay? So anyone out of any court can be a Demetti. Just like the wolf mystic could be a Demetti. Just like people of Avalon can be Demetti. Though, um, Cormac does say that it's supposed to be like a starborn inherited gift. But I don't know if they just think that. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Because that would mean like Dagda and Branna are starborn. Which, I mean, is possible. But like, there are other Demetti in other courts. So like, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one, but I know that Cormac did tell us that, so I should probably maybe take it as truth, but I'm not sure about it. But there are enough of us scattered throughout the world that many, most of those in position of influence, extensively train against our skill set. If you were to ever encounter a Demetti without those shields up, Farah, they'd take whatever they wanted. A more powerful one can make you their unwitting slave, make you do whatever they wanted, and you'd never even know it. And then Reese goes on to say in Akamath 21, rule number one, Reese told me, his eyes glazed with the rage of that memory. Don't go into someone's mind unless you hold the way open. A Demeti might leave their mind spread wide for you and then shut you inside and turn you into their willing slave. So they physically, they, they physically, they spiritually leave their bodies and enter somewhere else, go through somewhere else. And when we look at Rune, when he's in his, and even Reese, their star-flecked hands, 
inside of them. So when they're like in their mind bridges with with like Lydia and with Farah, you see their I'm going to quote, this is, this is my understanding. They're first light bodies. First light is magic. So you're seeing their magical first light selves. And the Demetis, and I'm assuming the mystics too, can leave their first light. They can leave their physical body and roam with their first light body. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but this is how I'm understanding it is that there's like two pieces to this puzzle. One is the physical, one is the spiritual. The spiritual ones can kind of infiltrate throughout the world and go other places. Now, I don't know if Reese has ever tested the limitations of the Demeti power. I don't know if it's literally you have to go from one body to the other, but it makes me question things. It makes me seriously question things because Cassian says in Akasif 29, Reese went still in the way that told Cassian his brother was no longer fully present, but rather in the mind of the female who had gone unmoving upon the bed. He rarely thought twice about Reese's gift as a Demeti, Farah's gift too, but he had never been more grateful for it. So, like, it just goes to show, like, they li- like literally leave. Like, they're no longer present in their body. They're somewhere else. If that doesn't sound like what the mystics are doing, I don't know what does. Like, I'd, I think I'm just... Maybe I'm grasping. Maybe I'm grasping simply because I just wish to understand this magic system to the fullest. But when in Akasif 30, when Reese actually does help Nesta, he says, leading her with a star-flecked hand back to the land of drifting clouds and rolling hills under a bright moon. Like, it, it just, it sounds like, I don't know. It just sounds right. It doesn't, it, I don't know how to make it sound any less this, but that's just how I'm seeing it. We could go into, like, further detail about, like, when in Akawar 36, when Farah actually goes, leaves her body completely and gets shut into Reese's mind, and then she sees everything through Reese's mind, and then he ends up throwing her out, and she goes back to her body, and she was, like, slumped on the floor. Like, she was literally not there. I don't know how it works, but, like, that's... It just, it makes me think of the mystics. It makes me think of the mystics, and I don't know if that's, like I said, if that's just me grasping for straws or what, but I'm going to grasp away because I want it to make sense, you know? And if Reese is a Demeti, I mean, if Reese is a mystic, or if mystics are Demeti, either or, because as we saw in House of Sky and Breath chapter 73 the other week, was the mystics could go into other people's minds. So they're not limited to just you know, snooping around the cosmos, like, they can do other things, and obviously they can do other things without a tub, because they're supposed to have a gift outside of it, we just don't know what it is, but in Akasif 3, we see that Reese has the orrery, and Reese built the model himself, which is what the mystics were said to have done, they were the first ones to map out the stars and the planets, so how did Reese do it? Who, it, they don't have a spaceship on Perithian, to my knowledge. They don't have a big old telescope that they're using that we know of. So how did he do it? How did he build a working model of the sun and stars and planets by himself? Someone explain that to me. I'd like to know. And I think the best example of maybe Reese being Demeti or Reese being a mystic or something, but again, it's kind of, this gets kind of murky. In Koa 99, when Aelin is falling through the worlds, she is meant to be an invisible speck. 
She's falling, she's not falling through realms. She's falling through the in-between of the worlds to my understanding. And yet she passed through a world of snow-capped mountains under shining stars, passed over one of those mountains where a winged male stood beside a heavily pregnant female, gazing at those very stars. Fae, they were fae, but not of her world. She flung out a hand as if she might signal them, as if they might somehow help her when she was nothing but an invisible speck of power. The winged male, beautiful beyond reason, snapped his head towards her as she arced across his starry sky. He lifted a hand as if in greeting, a blast of dark power, like a gentle summer's night slammed into her, not to attack but to slow her down, a wall, a shield that she tore and plunged through, but it slowed her. That winged male's power slowed her just enough. Aelin vanished from his world without a whisper. I just got chills, literally just got chills reading that. The easy answer would be, Aelin doesn't really have mental shields. She doesn't know to keep them up all the time. She does keep them up around Maeve, and she's always known to do that. Her mom taught her to do that. But she doesn't seem to keep them up all the time. So the easiest answer would be, she didn't have mental shields. She was screaming in her head, and Reese heard her as a Demetti. My question is, is why didn't Farah see her? And he sees her. It's not, it's not really that he just hears her. Reese sees Aelin. She's meant to be an invisible speck aside from the firepower that she's throwing out from Mala. Other than that, all he should see is just a red ball of flame, but he sees a person that he waved to, tried to greet. I love him for that. Just casually, hello, <laughs> what are you doing here? And then she just goes, and yeah, we learn later on in Akasif that he seems somewhat disturbed, but Reese had a lot going on at the time. But if Reese has already been contemplating the existence outside of Perithian, he already probably knows about other worlds, other creatures. I, I would eat my favorite pair of leather shoes if Reese doesn't already know about the crossing. I'm 100% convinced he actually knows the truth of what happened 15,000 years ago to some extent because he talks about like Valaris and the creation of Valaris and how they have a bunch of secrets that nobody knows. And I think one of those might have been the crossing or what have hap- might have happened to the original ancestors of the Night Court and of the Starborn people. So I, I know for a fact that Reese knows more about what's going on than he gives credit for. I mean, on top of that, he's the one who brought Mural to the library. She's the one who was researching realms and stuff. I have no doubt, I have no doubt that Reese is keeping up on her research, that he is very interested in all this stuff. But if he's a mystic, it would make sense that he could see this in between, could see her falling through. I don't know why Mer- why Farrah couldn't, that's the murkiest bit. Maybe there's a difference between being a mystic and gifting the Demeti power. Maybe there's, like I said, there could be some difference between, I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to work it out. It's a workout episode, I guess. We're all just trying to figure it out together. It could, like, Reese also being able to see Farrah before they were even mated, before they had even mated, like, that also kind of, like, it could be easily explained as the mating bond. Like, like that's easy explained. I would totally get that. But if there is more going on to Reese's power, which obviously there's more going on to Reese's power, 
him being able to see her dreams and stuff could easily be missed. Like, he was, like, because he was going, he sees it through her mind, like, through her own eyes. Like, he was there with her. Like, the mystics traveling through the worlds. uh, It's just, like, I don't, I keep going, like, it kind of makes sense, but, like, it kind of makes sense. (laughs) And then, obviously, Reese's mother, big question mark there. Um, She was able to perfectly design dresses for Farah. 500 years before she existed. What? I mean, I know you could just kind of, like, sweep another rug, like, plot's got a plot, Lillian, but also sometimes I want to know why plot has to plot. We could also argue that if May, if Reese is a mystic, then Maeve must be a mystic, and if, I think Maeve is 100% a mystic, she could see the future, she could manipulate things somehow, she was able to peer through the cosmos. Like, she could go through people's minds. Like, she could do literally everything. The, like, Reese can do some of the things that the mystics can do. Maeve could do everything the mystics can do. I don't know if, like, to what extent, if she never trained. Like, I, I, now that I'm talking out loud, I feel like I'm, like, crazy. But I don't know if that's just because I need to drink more caffeine and my brain is fogging or what. But, like, it just, it drives me crazy. We do know that there are quote-unquote mystics in that throne of glass. We know that the witches, the blue-blood witches, are considered seers, mystics, and zealots, and that they need more iron to keep them tethered to this realm. Sus. What other realm are they going to, and how? But that's it. That's all we got on mystics. That's all we know. That's it. Literally the end. Um, that's all we ever learned about the mystics just that they can do things and they can travel through the cosmos. Whether they are seen when they're traveling through the cosmos, we don't know. We know Thanatos could definitely see the mystic, but we don't know if that's just because it's Thanatos. And that's it. So, um, I want to get back onto the chapter deep dive. We only have a little bit left to go through here. Um, the astronomers, Ori, Ori, explodes to the sky and we see the perfect a perfect replica of their solar system explodes into view and orbiting their sun is seven planets because of course it's exactly seven planets why else would it be any different and one of those planets is Thur. are the other planets going to be named after other gods i don't know i wish i knew but i don't know the next thing we see is that the i think it was the fendir air that flops right as ethan walks by if it's not the Fendir air, then I'm reaching, but if it is the Fendir air, then maybe, like, subconsciously she, like, flops when she's, like, the other wolf is near her. I think that'd be really cool foreshadowing if it was, but I just want to point that out. We learn that what he has is called an orrery. We know that Reese has one, the AK has one, the Asteri have one, and someone pointed out in a video that I had talked about the orreries that Jezeba has the solar system painted on her on her ceiling but the tomb of elena also has this and the harp room also have this so i don't know if they're like the same thing but i wanted to throw it in there that like there's something fishy going on there there's something going on that's like some people know more than they should and i want to know how that they know that they would no you know the next thing i want to talk about is that they we this is the 
section we learn about blood salt. We talked about blood salt in a past episode, but I want to reiterate the fact that this blood salt smells like Valg blood and the walking dead, and it is made from balance, death and life and rebirth, and that it is a very powerful summoning salt. And I think that it's just, it, there's something fishy going around. The fact that there's the earthy scent, there's that balance thing coming around again. The fact that the house of wind is all red rock, and it's all described, that, um, and that Nesta's always summoning things to her. I don't, it's, I mean, I talked about in the one of the chaos of the small theory chaos episode. If you want to go back, if you haven't listened to that, totally listen to it. Love chaos episodes. But like, I, it's, it's blood salt. It's blood salt. That's all. I'm going to be making a TikTok video on this next piece because when I read it, I actually had somewhat of a meltdown. I had a somewhat of a meltdown. We get a description of the astronomer's room building. Remember, it was a two-story big door, big iron door, big black iron door. And then we get this. Before Bryce could respond, the floor below slid away, leaving the mystics in their tubs and creating a considerable gap between the base of the ramp and the entryway. The tubs rested atop a narrow column rising from the sublevels lined with more books and another walkway descending down, down to a black pit in the center of the floor. And filling the sublevel, layer after layer of darkness revealed itself, each one blacker than the last, seven of them, one for each level of hell, from the highest star to the pit itself. That is the frickin' House of Wind library. That, it's, it's literally the same. It, I mean, aside from the fact that they're not built from the same materials, seven levels, same as the library, a black pit at the bottom, same as the library, massive doors, same with the library, filled with books, same with the library. Are you trying? I, I mean, there's that parallel. That's that. But what he says, from the highest star to the pit itself, whoever originally created the library, I bet had the same philosophy. It's the freaking library. I don't know what it means. I don't know why it is. I did look around. I was like, maybe there are columns in the library. I did. I peeked. I, I searched. I was like, maybe there are like mystic pools, like hiding in the House of Wind library. We never even noticed. I looked. There was none of that. But I, we know that at the bottom of the library in the House of Wind is like a bunch of hidden stuff because it's all in this like weird, creepy, spooky darkness. What's down there? What's who's who? What? Who? I always thought there was a gate, but maybe there's like a mystic tub down there. Maybe that's where Reese likes to go to contemplate life. He just like trickles down to the, the bottom of the library and then takes a tubby and then like goes to the worlds. I don't know. <sighs> I love about like these episodes or these chapters is that we get like so much talk about other planets and stuff like that and like life beyond and yet. The ending of Hosab was just, like, the biggest surprise when, like, throughout the entire book of Hosab, they were talking about people coming from other planets and, like, the crossing and how, like, they originally came from other planets and yet 
yeah, they, like, actually came from other planets, and it was, like, a planet we knew, and then, yeah, it's just, it's so, <laughs> I want to go back in time and, like, look at, like, past me and, like, cup her face and, like, her cheeks and, like, smoosh them together, like, so she's a chubby little duck and be like, you are a chubby little duck who is really dumb. You're really dumb, you didn't see it. And then I would have been like, yeah, I'm a chubby duck who did not see that it was all coming together. The re- like, the- so there's one other thing about Demetti that I want to point out is they are talking about when you speak, your brain sends a message to your tongue to form words. The machine reads that message and interprets it without you needing to say the word. Then Therian goes, so it's a mind reader. And the astronomer goes, of sorts. I don't know. It feels like that might have been like a little like nudge, like a little boop, 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 boop. Pay attention, friends. I almost don't want to talk about this one last piece with Thanatos because I, I kind of want to save it for its own episode. I'd love to talk about this because I think Thanatos was really cool in this scene. I think it was an excellent way to show Thanatos without like showing him. But the question is, why were we drawn to hell if your friend isn't there? This is the question. Why did Thanatos pop up? Why are they there if Connor isn't there? Unless, unless, this is where it's going to get kind of murky because like we get the Thanatos name drop in Aquawar and Human City. We know that Bryce tries to go to hell when she jumps through the gate and she ends up on Perithian. I, I, there's like, I don't know if I can connect it, but I want to connect it. If there's some reason why, like, if Thanatos is actually on Perithian somehow, maybe it wasn't actually hell that they saw, maybe it was actually Perithian. I don't know. I don't understand. I really don't understand. But this is the question of the century. Why were they drawn to hell? What, what, who, who was drawing them to hell? How were they drawn to hell? And why, if it was so easy to get them drawn to hell without them trying, was it the one time that Bryce wanted to go to hell, she didn't get there if hell and Perithian are somehow separate? Also, do souls go to hell? H-E-L, not H-E-L-L. That's also a question I have. He also, I, I'm like, I don't want to say, I don't want to, uh, that, yeah. I'm not going to talk about what Thanatos says because I think I'm going to save it for its own episode because there's some good questions he poses um, that I'd love to talk about sometime. Whew, I felt like a lot of talking, but I'm not sure if it actually was. <laughs> I've had a, I've had my brain fog lately. I don't know. It's that time of year where I get insomnia, so everything feels, like, longer and drawn out and very, like, non-tangible. The world doesn't feel real right now to me, which is not great when you're going through fantasy stuff because it's very hard to stay critical thinking when I'm like, what if it's this? You know, but it also makes a lot of life fun when you're making notes and then you go back to read your notes and you're like... I have no idea what this gibberish means, but it sounds like past me had a great time thinking about it. I once had, like, a whole moment of, like, sleep-deprived breakdown of, like, this, the whole SJM universe. Like, I spiraled, and I had all of these great connections that all connected to each other. Like, basically unlocked, unlocked the SJM universe, and I wrote down, like, two things, and I was like, I'll remember it. I did not remember it. And that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. It's like, I was like, I had this whole thing and I was like, got the mystics and mural. Cause like, obviously like, how does she know about realms? How do you figure out that kind of stuff? Questions. 
and then you go from Reese to that, and then you go through, like, this trickling down thing, and then you go to, like, talk it out, and then suddenly you're like, how did my brain actually come up with all of this? Where did it all come from? How do I do this in a fun, clear, and exciting way? I d still do not know. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, it was fun to read Bryce. Um, yeah. Next week, I think I did, like, in this episode, I totally did decide we're going to do the character deep dives on Jezebel and Mural and see if we can come up with any theories on them, if they are related, if they're connected in any kind of way. And then we're going to do a chaos episode coming up because a lot of people really like those. And then, yeah, we're going to continue to break it all down, keep going, chugging along. We're at, like, what? We are nine months and some odd days away from House of Flame and Shadow being released. And it panics me <sighs> to think about how I feel like I don't know anything anymore. Like, there, there are some weeks where I'm like, I know so much about the SJM universe, and then there are weeks like today where I'm like, I know absolutely nothing. I know absolutely nothing about the SJM universe. And that's fun. She keeps me on my toes. I would say that it would be cool if Reese actually was a mystic because it seems like there's a difference between a seer and a mystic and there is also some kind of common ground and I think it would be really cool for Reese and Elaine to have some time together and moments together. Considering that in the face and bonus chapter, Reese was like kind of advocating for Elaine and like pushing for Farrah to like stop seeing her the way that they've all been seeing her which is the way that their mother saw her which was like a doll to be dressed up and kind of put to the side but Reese and Amran are the only two people I think who actually see her and we talked about this in the Lean episode but I think it'd be really interesting and a really interesting dynamic for Reese and Elaine to go through some training together I think it'd be really cool because I feel like Reese would have a really great understanding of how to work with her and how to push her and how to show her things and like doing it with Reese would take away from a lot of ship talk because the only other option we because like Reese technically trained Vera and then Cassian trained Nesta so then the way that cinema, uh, cinema uh, literary motifs go then it would be like Azriel training her but if it's not going to be Azriel to train her then I think it'd be really, really cool to see Reese train her. And I think that they could have a really cool friendship through that if there's a common ground between mystics and seers and, like, interpreting each other's thought process. And maybe there are things that Elaine can do that they don't know about yet and that Reese could help see, help her shine through. I don't think it would be... I mean, like, obviously, anything that Reese can do, Farrah can do, but I think there is some kind of a difference between being made into something and being gifted with something and if the mystics thing is a gift that reese just had throughout his bloodline through his mother or something like that then maybe that didn't translate when he gifted her a piece of his power if that makes any sense like i don't know is there actually any like is there any power that someone has that farah doesn't have i mean i guess farah could just kind of create whatever power she wanted in the same vein as dorian could but i'd be curious to see that so, I don't know. Back, it's like this circle of who is Maeve, what is Reese, how do they connect, and where's the future of SJM going? Like, we're just, like, one big spirally loop. That is today. A big spirally loop. Sink me in the tub. I could use a tub right now, actually. But, yeah. Thank you so much 
for being here and I hope it was fun. I hope I got your brain thinking. I hope I got you working. That's all I ever want to do is just to kind of keep us thinking and going and theorizing and understanding. I really wish there was more. I wish I could say more on the mystics, um, especially for the person who had asked me because I don't have a lot to say on them because we just don't get a lot of canon context around them. And, you know, there's not a lot of information in the real world around mystics. So I'm just really curious to see how it all goes. And if there are mystics that are in the still in the Asteris catacombs, will they come into play? Will they be reaching out to Rune and to hunt? I mean, could Rune reach out to them with his mind speak? There's a lot of, like, underground stuff that, like, the Asiri couldn't even know about, like, just through mind-to-mind stuff. Be interested to see how that goes. But yeah, thank you so much. I hope you guys have a lovely week, and we'll be back at this next week with some character deep dives, which will be fun, because I think there's going to be some fun stuff that we can talk about next week. And that's it. Thank you and goodbye.